0: Hey guys, hey, let's welcome all of our family who's joining us both locally here in Atlanta, but also around the country and around the world. Come on, let's welcome everybody in. We got people in Costa Rica in Nigeria and in Indonesia. And today's actually a really important sermon. And so I, I went online and I asked some people to share. So, Jeannie, thank you for sharing the stream. I just heard that Jeannie shared it. Thank you, Jeannie. Can we say thank you, Jeannie? Thank you, Jeannie. Thanks, Jeannie. Hey guys. I don't know how you grew up, but I grew up in Tennessee. I lost the accent somewhere along the way, at least most of it. Uh, But when I was growing up, we had this creek across the street from our house. And so I was always like as little me, like putting on my boots and running across the street to go over and find some crawdads find some coins, get in trouble, do something, right? And I have this core memory of, every time, every time I would run out the front door, I would hear my dad yelling out to me, look both ways before you cross the street. Right, come on, what, what did your parents tell you when you were little? Look both ways, right? It's really good advice, and I do not blame them, because now that I have sons of my own, uh, I know this, uh, they're reckless, they're idiots sometimes, and especially when they're little, they just, they just don't know. And I can't tell you how many times I have like grabbed their arms as they're about to run out into traffic. And it got me thinking this last week that look both ways could actually be the best advice we ever receive. Before we cross over to the other side, make sure to look both ways. If you love someone, tell them to look both ways. And that's what Jesus did with us. And we've been in a journey this year through the world's greatest sermon, right? Uh, Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew five, six, and seven. And today, we're kinda turning the page. We're about halfway through Matthew chapter seven, really in the home stretch here, about to finish out the Sermon on the Mount. And today, we're actually jumping into a new series where we're gonna follow what I believe is the hardest 11 verses in the Bible, the whole Bible. And they are not Here's the deal. They're not hard to understand. They're just hard to hear. And today, we're kicking off the series with these two verses. And Jesus says this. Matthew 7, verse 13, he says this. He says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. Everybody say narrow gate. gate. The highway to hell is broad. And its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. hoo, 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 it's about to get real. So here's the idea, guys. Jesus says that there is a broad road that leads to destruction. There is an interstate that leads to hell. It is broad, and it is populated, and this broad path is full of broad beliefs. On this path, this path, this broad path is all roads lead to heaven. Come on, somebody. Oprah's religion. We okay out here? Beyonce's religion. Come on. uh, Come on, Beehive. (laughs) Tony Robbins' self-help religion. Come on, all truth is truth. Witchcraft, Wiccan, crystals, Hinduism, Islam, Buddhism, syncretism, meaning I want a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of that, and a little bit of God as a genie in a bottle, a little bit of my own pleasure, and I'm going to put them together to form a Frankenstein religion. Fame, popularity, the religion of tolerance that we live in today. It, a, the broad path has broad belief. But there is also this one little narrow foot trail that leads to life. And it, at the end of that foot trail is a single, solitary, narrow door to walk through, and it leads to life. And he says the, 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 the inner state to destruction is crowded, but the foot trail to life is seldomly walked. In fact, it's the opposite of the way that culture thinks, right? Like if you're just going to go on the street and talk to somebody, like the the popular belief would be that the road to life is very broad. It's populated. Everybody's on it. But the road to hell is very narrow, very narrow. But it's right here that Jesus actually says, listen, guys, if, if you're going through life and you're surrounded by a ton of people, danger. You're probably on the wrong road. And on this point, I love this, guys. On this point, Christianity is absolutely unapologetically the most exclusive religion in the universe. There is only one way to heaven. Period. But good news, because Christianity is the most exclusive religion, but it's simultaneously the most inclusive religion because everybody's welcome. Everybody can come to the narrow gate. You don't have to be born in a specific place. You don't have to be born in a specific family. You don't have to be a specific race or a people group. You don't have to have a lot of money, and you don't even have to be perfect. All you have to have is Jesus. All you have to have is Jesus. And God has created and opened one narrow gate between humanity and divinity, and his name is Jesus. Because this is God's heart for people, guys. This is God's heart for people. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. God says this He says, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. This is the word of God. This isn't man-made. God says, choose life. In other words, we have a choice so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. The good news today, guys, is God doesn't even want one to perish. God's heart is that all would come to salvation. God's heart is that all would come. God's heart doesn't want even one to perish. Not even one, not even one. Not even, not even the worst of the worst of the worst. God doesn't even want one to perish. So he gives us a choice. And today, we're talking about the biggest choice you'll ever make in your entire life. That before we cross over to the other side of this life, we need to look both ways. And so next week, we're gonna devote an entire week, an entire sermon to heaven we're gonna talk about heaven the entire time, is gonna be amazing. But how many of you know, with good news, for good news to be even better, sometimes we have to hear the other side of the coin. And so next week we're gonna turn and we're gonna look at heaven, but that means that this week we're turning before we go to the other side and we're taking a look at hell. Now, here's the deal about hell, right? Even all all this conversation. Most Americans believe in an afterlife. In fact, uh, we came across some some very recent polls. So these are Gallup polls. These are not like secular. I mean, these aren't Christian polls. These are unbiased like Gallup polls. And so Americans believe in spiritual entities, right? So this doesn't mean they're a Christian. It just means they believe in a God of some sort, right? So you would say today, 74% believe in God, 67% believe in heaven, 59%. Isn't it interesting that more people believe in heaven than in hell, right? We want to acknowledge that there's good. We don't want to acknowledge that there could be bad, and even a little less um, believing that there is a devil, the greatest trick that the devil ever played was convincing the world that he didn't exist. One of my favorite lines in the movie. And then we actually track this. Let's go to the, let's go to the next one. It's very interesting. This is looking at the last 20 years. And I was just talking about this, this earlier to somebody that if you look at every single poll that has to do with anything, it doesn't have to be spiritual, every single poll everywhere changes at 2005. Because you know what happened in 2005? Social media. Everything changes in 2005 because we changed who we were listening to. We changed our life patterns. We stopped living in reality and we started living in screens. We started listening to a lot of different voices and a lot of people got swept away. But you look at the, the, the numbers. So if you go back 20 years ago, 90% of America believed in God. Today it's 74%. You know, 71% believed in hell. Today it's 59%. All right, we, we can take that down. You get the idea. There, there's a reality of, of, of things shifting in our nation even right now. And, and here's the deal. I know most of us don't spend too much time thinking about all this, and that's actually kind of part of the problem, that there, there's a little bit of invincibility in all of us. And, and here's, here's a quote by a guy named Frederick Buchner. He said this intellectually, we all know that we will die, but we do not really know it in the sense that the knowledge becomes a part of us. We don't really know it in the sense of living as though it were true. On the contrary, we tend to live as though our lives would go on forever. And I hate to break it to you guys, but you and everybody you know will one day die. You're like, what? Why didn't somebody tell me? And I know everybody thinks it's like 3,000 years in the future, but here's the here's the truth. Whether it's 50 years from now or 10 seconds from now, God forbid, one day you will be the guest of honor at your own funeral. Yeah. Everybody will be there, they'll be trying to think of nice things to say about you. Please don't make it hard for them. <laughs> Please don't make us try and preach you into heaven. Like, like, like he was a great guy. No, he wasn't, right? Like, so so one day you'll be the guest of honor at your own funeral. And the question is, what then? What then? It's pretty much the most important question you could ever answer is what happens when we die, right? What, what, what's on the other side, right? So, so here, here's a few different, uh, of the different beliefs that are kind of swirling out there, right? So what happens when we die? So if we look at pop culture, right? So kind of like popular belief that, that's swirling around out there. Um, pop culture would, would kind of have this belief, right, that um, uh, the, the devil and demons are ruling hell. Come on, we learned this from Looney Tunes. Right, and cartoons and stuff. And, and, you know, the devil is red, and he has horns, and he has a, a, a red cape and a red pitchfork, and demons have whips, and they're, like, driving the lost souls of humanity. You know, or, or maybe, you know, so pop culture would sometimes say, like, hell is just one big party. Come on, drinking beers in heaven. You know, fishing in heaven. You know, like, oh, you're going to hell. I'll see you there. Woo! Right? Like that's that's kind of that pop culture sort of belief in hell. Uh, here, here's the second thing. So uh, uh, so we got pop culture, but then we got universalist, right? So universalist is is are these people who believe that like all all paths lead to heaven, right? So all religions are equally valid. In the end, hell, I mean heaven will be very full. Hell will there only be a few people in hell? Only like the really 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 bad people go to hell. So like Hitler, Charles Manson dude who cut you off in traffic, like those three people (laughs) will be in hell and that's it. And in fact, the statistics say this, okay? For every one American who actually believes they're going to hell, 120 Americans believe they're going to heaven. Jesus would argue with that math. The path to destruction is broad, the path to life is single path only. One person at a time. So we got, we got pop culture, then we got universalists, then we got the naturalists. So uh, my, uh, a husband of a former coworker of mine before I came here uh, to Victory, he was a naturalist. And here's what he told her. Like she, with tears in her eyes, uh, like told me this. She said that her husband came to her and said, hey, I don't believe in God. <clears throat> I'm a naturalist. I don't have a soul. So I just want you to know, when I die, I will cease to exist and worms will eat my body. That's literally what he told her. Let's get real pick-me-up uh, sort of you know, personality. That, for some, may be comforting. Here's a question for you, though, if you're a naturalist today. What if you're wrong? After naturalists, you have the reincarnationist. This is live, die, repeat, live, die, repeat, live, die, repeat. You have successive ch- chances at this. You know, it just kind of goes on and on. And depending on, on how moral you are, depending on how well you do, you'll come back good or bad. Like you could come back as a billionaire or a roach. <laughs> That's why you don't step on the roach. That's why you don't kill the cows, right, in India. Like, it could be a relative i 'm not kidding like that rea- 's that 's the belief and so if you if you don 't do good this time don 't worry you 'll get another chance. what if that 's not true and then and then there there 's two groups that um, even Christians have pretty mixed up beliefs on this that aren't correct, and these people love, love Jesus, like, they're, they're gonna be with you in heaven, but there, there are some Christians who are what's called annihilationists, which means, like, that, that when people who don't know Jesus die, they'll, they'll be punished for a second, then poof, they're gone. That's not true. Hell isn't for a second, and then there's another group of, of many Catholics, right? Like Catholics are taught purgatory. And so uh, this idea of purgatory is that after you die, like you, you kind of go to this holding place that depending on how good or how bad you've been, you have to be, um, in a sense, you have to be purified of your sins. You have to endure some punishment for your sins. And so they'd be like, no, 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 no. Like I'm not saved by my good works, but I have to, do, I have to suffer pain for my bad works. Guys, that's not true. Like, you're not purified by Jesus and you. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. So this is really leads us to the real question. What does the Bible have to say about it? What does the Bible have to, like, like the word of God, not the word of man, not just wishful thinking have to say about it. What do, what do TikTok heretics have to say about it, right? And and I love this. When Jesus walked the earth, he would say this phrase many times. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. So today, fam, I love you enough to tell you the truth. Why? Because the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. And God wants people to hear the truth about hell so they won't have to experience it. Because, guys, there is something inside all of us. You know, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. There's something inside all of us that hints at, I think there might be more here than meets the story. I I think that maybe death isn't the end, and that's because God put that there. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God, he has planted eternity in the human heart. And so here's the truth, guys. When you close your eyes here on earth... It's not the end of the story. Our lives, I love that C.S. Lewis says something like this. He says that, that, that our lives here on earth are only the title page in the first chapter of the story that goes on and on and on forever and ever. And many people, especially in culture, would say like, you know, Jesus is so loving. There's no way Jesus could believe in hell. This might surprise you, but Jesus actually talks about hell more than anybody else in the entire Bible. Why? Because he loves you. Jesus spent half of his parables and about 15% of his teaching talking about hell and judgment and wrath. And the truth is that the most loving person who ever lived not only believes in hell, but clearly and bluntly and emphatically and repeatedly talks about it because he loves you. And Jesus actually tells us this story, and it's kind of in an Old Testament context, but it has this New Testament truth, because it's there in Luke 16, and he tells us this story, okay? These are red letters. Jesus says this. Tells the story. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. So this isn't like Lazarus who came out of the tomb. This is a just poor man named Lazarus who lived at this rich man's gate. He was covered in sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. And the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, that's a key word, in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Lazarus is by Abraham's side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he's comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that's been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And so Jesus kind of paints this Old Testament bridging into New Testament story about what happens to two men who die. And what happened is before Jesus went to the cross, that changed everything. When Jesus went to the cross and he died and he's buried and he rose again, that changed everything. But before that day, all people who died went to, in a Hebrew word, they went to a place called Sheol, called the grave. The translation of Sheol is the grave. That's the place where dead people go is into the grave. And in that Old Testament understanding, the grave, Sheol had two places in it. It had Hades where those went who had rejected God in this life, and it had a place called Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side, right? Father Abraham, the father of the faith. Those who had the faith of Abraham, they went to Abraham's bosom. So in Sheol, the place of the dead, there was Hades where those who went who had rejected God, and there was Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom, those who follow God like David and Noah, right? Come on, like these people, they, they went with Abraham there in that place. And Jesus paints this picture that, that poor Lazarus, he dies in disgrace, but now he's in blessing. Come on, he, he lives that, that 2 Corinthians, I think it's five, reality that says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He's not hungry anymore, he's not thirsty anymore, he is blessed, he's loved, he's at peace, he's home. And Lazarus looks across this chasm, and he sees this rich man in Hades. And I'm telling you guys, we know how rich funerals go. When this guy died, there's probably thousands of people there, and they all gathered around his casket, and they said really nice things about him. And they said, hey, don't worry everybody, he's in a better place. But he was not in a better place, he was in hell. He's in anguish, he's in torment. In fact, he's kind of saying, it's like I'm trapped in a burning building forever. And so Jesus paints this picture. And now if you, if you jump forward, there's a time when Jesus dies on the cross. And I love this. When Jesus dies on the cross, scripture says that he, he led captivity captive. And so what happens is Jesus actually goes to Sheol, the place of the grave. He doesn't go to hell. He goes to the grave. He goes to Sheol. And inside Sheol, he goes over to Abraham's bosom. He goes over to where all the followers of God were. And so where did everybody go before Jesus came? They went into Abraham's bosom. But when Jesus dies on the cross, he goes into Sheol, into Abraham's bosom. And he wraps his arms around Abraham and David and Rahab. Come on, and Noah, and Solomon, come on, and Deborah, and Ruth, come on, and Boaz, and Joshua, he wraps his arms around them, and he brings them into where? Paradise, because on the cross, he looked at the thief, and he says, today, you will be with me in paradise. So Jesus plunders Sheol, and he empties out Abraham's bosom and shields and i have this picture this last week of that rich man on that day in hades trapped in the burning building suffering in agony and all of a sudden he sees light break in and he sees jesus coming in and there's this momentary glimpse of hope oh here it is my suffering will finally end and jesus comes in and he wraps his arms around all those who had followed god in this life and then he leaves Can you feel the hopelessness? The number one word that you, Jesus uses to describe hell is Gehenna. And in Gehenna, Gehenna is a valley in Jerusalem. There's a number of valley, Jerusalem's actually built on a number of valleys. And there's the Valley of Gehenna. And if you go deep into the Old Testament, God's people had drifted from him from a time, and so they set up an idol statue to Molech in the Valley of Gehenna where they would sacrifice their children. I'm gonna offend a lot of you. They used to call it Molech, just today we call it Plain Parenthood. So they went over there and they would kill their babies to make their lives better, so it wouldn't inconvenience them, so they would be blessed. And generations later, And I'm praying the same thing happens for us. Generations later arose a people who looked back at that in horror. And so they tore the statues down and they turned it into a trash heap. They said that area cannot be redeemed. And so they just threw their trash there. And so there was scavenging animals and they lit the the trash on fire to burn it. So the fire was always burning and the, the, the worms were always eating. And Jesus says, Hell is like that. Mark 9, 48, Jesus says, hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched, everyone there will be salted with fire. That's Jesus. Jesus says it. And Jesus says, guys, I'm trying to give you the best explanation possible of what hell is so you won't have to go there. Throughout the Bible, there's descriptions of hell. Let me just give you some of them. So one of them's eternal torment. That's there in Mark, Mark 9. That's what we just talked about. Um, Matthew twenty two thirteen 13 talks about total darkness. Um, that, that word darkness uh, in, in, in Hebrew is blackness, which means there is no light in hell. And when you, when you think about it, light is one of the things that keeps us mentally stable. And in blackness, people begin to get disoriented. They lose concept of time. They lose concept of space. That hell is eternal blindness. That you will never see another person ever again, forever. Revelation 14 talks about no rest or sleep. That sleep is also what keeps us mentally stable. There is no mental break from hell. There's no vacation. There's no uh, disconnect. There's no, I'm just gonna get away for a few minutes. No, hell is eternal insomnia. Isaiah 26 says you're forgotten. No one's thinking about you. You've been thrown away and forgotten. Isaiah 38 talks about homeless hopelessness, that every person in hell at some point At some point, we'll say, I have been here 100,000 years. And it's like I haven't been here a minute. I've just begun. Revelation 20 talks about never-ending separation from God. And guys, whether or not we think about this, the only reason there's any goodness in this world, I know (laughs) there's so many things that are broken. The only reason there's anything beautiful in this world is because God's spirit is here. It's because the church is here, because you're here. You're salt and light, like bringing hope and life and love, everyone in the world. But in deepest of hell, God has said, you will not experience my beauty there. Alone, no hope, forgotten forever. Yet there are people who think that hell will be one big party. Drink it up smoke it up, sex it up, and now there's no God and no Christians to ruin my fun. Yet these are the same people who would say, why would God send me to hell? Breath. (laughs) Breath. You've spent your whole life telling God you want nothing to do with him, but now all of a sudden you want to spend all eternity with him? And in response to that, some people stand back and they accuse God and they say, my God would never send anybody to hell. You're right. Your God would never send anybody to hell because he is a fake made up God in your mind. He's not real. He's not true. You just made up a God. Well, my God would never do that. All right. And now now some people are like, well, then how could a good God send somebody to hell? And the answer is, because he is good. Because he is good. Listen, if a serial killer killed your mama and the judge let him walk free, is that a good judge? No, that's a terrible judge. So the real question is this, can God be good if he doesn't punish sin? Remember, God's heart is not, that, not even one parish. Remember that God's desire for humanity was to walk with us in the garden, in relationship forever. God did not break this. We broke this. We're the ones who ruined everything. And listen, guys, we need to hear this. There are no good people. There was only one good person. And he laid down his life so that bad people could be good. But there are no good people. Don't, nobody will ever be able to stand back and accuse God of being unjust. And I'm a good person. You're a terrible person. We're, we're gonna, we're just, some of us, we're gonna, and sorry if this name is too close to you, but I just had to pick a name. We're gonna, we're gonna go to a funeral, and we're gonna be like, Bob was just such a good person. And somebody's gonna say, say a little something, be like, no, 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 no. There's no way Bob, God would send Bob to hell. He was a good person. Are you kidding me? Bob was a lying, fornicating idolatrous, come on, blasphemer, who rejected the living God. Was he a good husband? Yeah. Come on, wait, did did he pay his taxes on time? Yeah. Come on, did he go to church? Yep. Yeah. did Did he Did he vote Republican and root for the Falcons? Yep. Yeah. And he deserved hell. Because he had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and his heart was unrepentant before God himself. And Bob is not in a better place, fishing in heaven. Bob is burning in Hades forever. Because the truth is God is an eternal God. So sinning against him is an eternal act that requires eternal punishment. And guys, God is absolutely love. But here's the reality and here's the problem. We don't know what love is. We try and make love sexuality and love is my emotion. No, everything God could ever do is the most loving thing possible. This loving God is also holy. He is holy, he's pure, he lives in unapproachable light and sin cannot enter into his presence. And to come to a perfect God, you have to be perfect too. Because Hebrews 12, 29 says that he is a consuming fire. And if you try and bring, I hear people they are like, oh, when I get to heaven, just me and God are going to talk it out. You try and roll into God's presence with sin, you'll meet the consuming fire who will burn you away. In fact, the wrath of God is mentioned 600 times in the Bible. And the truth is family. Many, 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 many people are in the path of the wrath of God. And I need to say this and I need to make it as clear as possible. Hell is not just a place where really bad people go. It's also a place where soccer moms go and construction workers and, and toll booth operators, and politicians, that's the easy one, and lawyers. <laughs> and coworkers, and moms, and dads, and high school students. Hell is the final destination for all those who die guilty in their sin. Because sin cannot enter into heaven, and once you die, you get no second chance. Hebrews 9 tells us that it's appointed for a man to die once and then be judged. There's no like <clears throat> there's no reincarnation, there's no post-mortem repentance. You get one shot. And when we die, our physical body goes into the ground, but our spirit lives on. And for those in rebellion against God, on that day, their soul will immediately, upon closing the eyes, will go to Hades. For those who trusted in faith in Christ, when they close their eyes, immediately their soul will go to paradise. And it's there in those two places where we await what's called the final day of judgment in Revelation 20. Here's how John says it. He says, I saw the the dead great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades emptied out. All those who said hell's just gonna be one big party is emptied out, and they find themselves standing before God Almighty. They gave up the dead that were in them, And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. You understand that, that one day Hades will be emptied out and Hades itself will be thrown into hell. The lake of fire is the second death. It's hard to say it, but everybody say second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. One of the most terrifying events that's ever written, this is a future event, is called the second death. This is where somebody's body has already died and now because they deny Christ, they're thrown into the lake of fire where their spirit dies forever. It's called the second death. There's a physical death and then there's a spiritual death. But there in Revelation it also says, For those who trust in Christ, the second death will never touch them. So are you ready for some good news? Come on, are you ready for some good news? (laughs) All right, here's some good news. Hell was not created for you. Hell was not created for you. God isn't that sort of sadistic God that hell was created for you. Matthew 25, verse 41. Jesus says, then he said, he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. It says that one day God will speak to people and say, you're going where the devil's going. Hell was not created for people. Hell was made for the devil and for his demons. And guess what? That's why it's so brutal. And if you did not notice this, the devil and demons are not ruling hell. Okay, let's look again at Revelation 20, I love this. And the devil who deceived them, who deceived us, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. Listen, family, there is a day coming when the devil and his demons will be thrown into eternal punishment in hell. The devil ain't ruling nothing. The devil has no authority because he doesn't have the keys of hell any longer because we have one who stomped on his head, rose again from the dead, took the keys of death, hell, and the grave, and sits at the right hand of the Father, having the name that is above every name forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. But since the devil knows that his days are numbered... He's recruiting people to join him in his rebellion, and those who join the devil's rebellion get the devil's reward. Yes. Wow. But we don't need to go there. We don't need to Acts four twelve. There is salvation. There is some, some. Don't read it too fast. There is salvation. God didn't have to offer a way, but he made a way. There is a narrow way. Every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God did not have to make a way, but he made a way. Listen, if you're out in the middle of the ocean, shipwrecked and drowning, you're not going to complain when somebody throws you a life preserver. Oh, really? Just one way? Just one way? <laughs> one way to be saved? I think all ways are going to say, no, you're, there is salvation. There is a way to be saved. There is a way to escape the judgment and the wrath of God. There is a way to deal with sin. There is salvation. Continue on. There is salvation in no other name. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There is one name that will save us. And that name is not Buddha. That name ain't Allah. That name is not Donald Trump. That name is not Joe Biden. There is one name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved, and that name is the Jesus, the Christ. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus says it, John fourteen six. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I, 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 there is one narrow gate, and that gate's name is Jesus. There is a way, and he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life, no one comes to the Father. There is no plurality of salvation. No one comes to the Father except through him, through that narrow footpath leading to the narrow door, and his name is Jesus. And here's what this means, guys. Heaven and hell are ultimately not the issues. Jesus Christ is the issue. Don't fight about heaven and hell and, and look over the real issue, right? Heaven and hell are implications of the issue. The real question at the end of the day, isn't even am I going to heaven or is am, I, am I going to hell? The real question is, what have I done with Jesus? What have I? This is the one question every single one of us has to answer, who do you say that I am? What have we done with Jesus? You can try and stick your head in the sand and ignore that question, but that question will not ignore you. You will have to answer that question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? We can try and ignore it. It won't ignore us. And guys, listen, this last week, we were all in meetings. About midweek, our phones went crazy. Remember that? You're like, hellfire is raining down upon us. This national alert went out on everybody's phones. And I just sat there and listened, even, even yesterday, as I was watching some of my friends' post and listening to the air, air raid sirens in Israel, So that siren, that alarm is going off in the soul today. Guys, there is danger ahead. The bridge is out, danger. There's warning signs, there's construction signs. Everybody listening to this even right now, you no longer can claim ignorance. There is only one way, do you hear the siren? And I do not apologize. Everybody's like, oh, Christianity is so just narrow and uh, absolutely. Because I love you enough to tell you the truth. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. But the enemy multiplies kisses. If I didn't love you, I'd get up here and say, believe whatever you want to. All truth is truth. Just all pass lead to all pass lead to heaven. And then you would meet God one day face to face and he would open up the book of life. Say, Who are you? Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. And we can never be ashamed to run into burning buildings and pull people out. I'm not ashamed of that, even if they're punching me in the midst of it. I'm not ashamed of that, because only Jesus can answer the sin problem. C.S. Lewis says this, and then I'll close. One road leads home. And a 1,000 roads lead into the wilderness. The only way to a perfect God, the only way that that perfect God would allow us into his perfect home is if we were perfect. So here's the question. What can wash away my sin? What can bring me back to relationship with, with him again? The question is, have I repented of my sin? Have I bowed my knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and confessed Him King and Savior? If so, you are born again, friend, and the second death will never touch you. If you haven't, it's time to look both ways. Before you cross, let's bow our heads. Let's pray. I know this is that uh, God has no interest in scaring you into heaven. Today isn't a day to be scared, today is a day to be awakened to the reality of eternity because it's always this kindness that leads us to repentance. Listen, God isn't waiting on the other side of this moment to beat you up. (laughs) God is uh, waiting on the other side of this moment to welcome you home. He's the father of the prodigal son who welcomes his children home. But here's the deal, outside of home is terrible. Jesus talks a lot about what happens outside of home, this place that wasn't even ever prepared for you. But sin is so poisonous and so toxic to us that God himself had to put on flesh and come and deal with it to bring us back to him, to bring us home. And so the question is, what are you gonna do with that? Because if you meet God face to face and your sin is still on you, if you have unbelief, It's appointed for a man to die once and then be judged. And here's the reality, guys. we Every single one of us, we will either meet God as judge or God as friend. And so here's the reality. Today, your soul is being awakened. There's an alarm going off in your soul. And it is God's kindness in this moment that's saying it's time to come home. It's time to bow your knee. It's time to, to confess your sin. It's time to turn from your way to repent and to put your faith in the only one who can save you. And his name is Jesus, not the broad path, the narrow path, the narrow door. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. And if that's you today, here's what I want you to do. I'm not gonna call you for it, but I want you to raise your hand. Say, today is the day to put my faith and my hope and my trust in Jesus Christ alone. Put your hand up really high. This is the most, who do you say that I am? That's what Jesus is asking. Today's the day of salvation. Today's a good day. So let's do this. Let's pray this together. You can put your hands down. Let's pray this together because I want you to be able to focus in on this. And family of God around these guys, let's pray together. Let's pray like this. Say, Jesus, today I confess you are the son of God who went to the cross and died for my sin. So right now, I repent. That means turn I repent of my sin I turn from my way my rebellion my darkness and I turn to you I put my trust in Jesus Christ to save my soul you are God you are king and you're alive and you have my life from this day forward You're my Lord. You're my savior. I trust you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. And right now, because of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I say you are forgiven of all your sins, all your iniquities, all your trespasses, your sins are erased from you and separated from you as far as the east is from the west. And now you stand before God, holy and blameless, not because of your works, but because of Jesus' works. You are forgiven and you are free in Jesus' name. Amen.